Excuse me. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I just did a little bit of a burp. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's my dog barking in the background. Sorry. Um, welcome back. This is our part two on First Peter chapter one. If you have not listened to part one, please go listen to it because we dove through so much good stuff, and I just want you to be fully equipped. So, okay. Welcome back. I'm going to try and finish, let's see how many pages I'm going to have to go through right here. Oh, gosh. Um, I think I can do this in, yeah, one, two, three. I've got about 11 pages to go through. So I don't, I'm not saying that like, oh, look at me. Because <laughs> not all the notes that I've, <laughs> not all the notes that I've, prepared here are my own notes. I've got it from some websites just to give some more insight. So we just, we, part, part, part one, we went through uh, verse nine, then we elaborate on that. We read through Psalm 143. We read Jesus's words out of John 20, 29 through the amplified version where Jesus says, blessed, uh, he says, because you have seen me, do you now believe? He's talking to doubting Thomas where Thomas is like, I won't believe until I put my fingers in the holes in his hand. And so Jesus is like, okay, bro. He says, because, so he says, because you have seen, this is Jesus talking to Thomas. He goes, do you now believe? Blessed, happy, spiritually secure, and favored by God are they who did not see me and yet believe in me. We went over that and we're going to dive into verse 10 right here. But before we do that, we're going to open in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for giving me this platform to equip your listeners Holy Spirit, I pray you'd move in their hearts, wherever they're at, Father. Meet them where they're at, Father. They would walk in the Beatitudes, they'd be faithful with the gifts you've given them, and that this message would just be planted rightly. I pray for, um, I pray for fertile soil in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know the song that's playing right now, it's called Koinonia. That's how you pronounce it in its presence, but I'm going to change the song real quick. I'm going to I'm going to pick something else real quick because we listened to this song on the other episode. So let's see what we want to do. We already did that one. Let's do this one. We're going to do Like a Tree by Waldner Worship. This one is really good. I I, I like this one. Sounds really nice. That's my southern accent. <laughs> I have a southern accent. And how do I... I'm trying to think about how I can use... Because I, I have an English character as well. I'm trying to think of the right sentence to use. Like, like oh, Molly! So, that's another one. <laughs> okay. Anyway, here we go. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of christ and the subsequent glories verse 12 it was revealed to you or sorry it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you now i'm gonna go off note here for a second we'll continue this verse Look at that word you, where it says, because you shows up three times here. 
but where it says it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you now let's think about this for a second i'm gonna just i don't i don't have this word actually underlined i'm gonna underline it right now just so if i come back to it i can realize why i have it underlined that you is not just talking to the people that this letter was written to it's written to you as well beloved all of us, those who trust in Christ, it's so wonderful. Those uh, through, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look into. Now where it says, um, oh, where it says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. It was important. It was important to Peter and to all the New Testament writers to devote to or to demonstrate that their teaching was no novelty, but that it was testified beforehand by the prophets. Understanding this made salvation much greater in the mind of Peter's afflicted readers. Peter did not seek to prove the truth of his teaching about salvation by showing its agreements with the prophets. Rather, he sought to encourage his afflicted readers by demonstrating the importance and comprehensive grandeur of the salvation for which they were being afflicted. I love that. I love that. Verse 11, there's a footnote where it says, inquiring what person of time, it can translate into or what time or circumstances. You think about it that way, you can understand the um, looking at the importance of not minimizing people's trials as Christians. Now, verses 10 through 12 can be hard to understand. I know it did for me. Uh, verse 11, I couldn't really understand, but I understand 10 through 12. And then uh, verse 13, the new title above this is, is says, a, uh, called to be holy. This is, this is we're going to get into some Greek right here. This is really deep. Where it says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Remember that part. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, yet set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is another footnote for verse 13 where it says preparing your minds for action. It can translate into uh, girding up the loins of your mind. It's really interesting. Uh, Where it says therefore gird up the loins of your mind which we just went through. Um, Living the way God wants us the way God, God wants us to means that we must gird up the loins of our mind. The idea in this phrase is to prepare us for action. Much like uh, the phrase rolling up your sleeves, then we must also be sober. I didn't read that right, I'm sorry. The, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to reread this because I don't think I read it right. The idea in this phrase is for is is to prepare for action, much like the phrase "rolling up your sleeves." Then we must be we also must be sober, which means the ability to take a serious look at life. To gird up the loins of your mind is to get rid of loose and sloppy thinking. I think that's 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 a good way to look at it. That, that that's a good chunk of it. 
to bring the rational and reflective powers of your mind under control. It means to control what you think about. It means to control what you think about those things you decide to set your mind upon. Paul talks about it. He says, whatever is, whatever is holy, whatever is right, whatever is genuine, set your mind on it. I'm paraphrasing there, but where it says be sober, uh, it demonstrates a condition free from every form of mental and spiritual loss of self-control. It is an attitude of self-discipline that avoids the extremes. Now going back to verse 13, grace is the unmerited love of God, uh, stooping to save and bless, the source of all those bright and holy gifts which come from his infinite heart. I want to read a long note here, but growing up as a Christian, even before I came to Christ, because I've always had that little, I've always said it this way, I've always had that fire in my heart for Jesus, even when I was a very young child, but it was never like something I walked daily in. But growing up as a Christian, I always thought being sober-minded, I literally thought it meant to never think about anything bad. As much as it mean, as much as it could mean that, sometimes we can't control what we think. But in the Greek, uh, it means to be steadfast, self-disciplined, uh, and spiritually and morally alert. So it's like, I'm just gonna keep reading from my notes because sometimes I elaborate and then I read the same thing again. So uh, Peter soon is going to get into being perfect. Uh, he's uh, he's he's adding up to that. Early on in my walk with Christ, I thought yielding to the Holy Spirit's discipline was impossible and very hard. It is when you are not keeping a careful watch over your heart. But I think it's simple. When we mess up, when we sin, whether it is a big mess up or a little one, and let me elaborate on that. Like a little one could be like, you cuss, but if you mess up in sexual immorality, that's something a little bit bigger. And scripture is clear on that. But the one thing we can do in those moments is walk in teleos. It's that Greek word for perfect, which we learned in um, the study through the book of James. We can learn to walk in perfection or completion or maturity. It is to confess that to God. The second option would be hanging on to the grace that saves us through Christ as we went through previously. How else can we be sober-minded? If I'm practicing that confessing of my sin before the Lord or taking a thought captive and saying, you know, is that a rational thought or an irrational thought? Then I'm being sober-minded. In other words, I am being self-disciplined, which goes back to the the Greek definition for sober-minded. How else can we discipline ourselves? I think it goes right back to what, what what we went through uh, in the book of James, being a doer of the word, um, letting whatever the doing be done so well in us that we can move on to the next step. Gotta add step there. Um, enjoying that one part of deep fellowship with the Holy Spirit, it makes sense based on what Peter says next. Um, verse 14, as obedient children... Do not be conformed. Remember that word conformed. Do not be conformed to the passage to the passions of your former ignorance. Verse 14, Peter is encouraging the many churches to not go back to what you already repented from. To keep walking in the grace that you have been called into. 
Now I could reference the verse uh, that people use about as an old dog goes back to its vomit. Um, I could reference that in like with with this verse. Don't 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 be conformed. Don't go back to your old vomit of your sin. Um, that's actually in uh, Peter's second letter. It's Second Peter two. But that scripture in context is talking about false teachers. So if you ever hear someone use that verse to condemn you in your sin, just rebuke it. They are they are butchering it. They're taking it way out of context and they need a bigger rev- reverence and respect for the word of God. Isaiah 66, God says, I am looking for those who will tremble at my word. And that Hebrew word, uh, the, the Hebrew there for word, I looked it up the other, uh, earlier this week. I listened to a sermon by Francis Chan and he elaborated on this verse and I looked at the Greek or the Hebrew word after I had listened to the sermon. It means like, it doesn't just mean, it means, it means God's words. Whether we hear that like audibly or in the still small voice or in the word of God, that's what that means in the Hebrew. Now let's go back to that word conformed, which I, I, I think I told you guys to remember. In verse 14, it is the same Greek word Paul uses in the commonly known verse found in Romans 12, 2, where Paul says, Do not be conformed by the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test what is God's will. I'm paraphrasing there. And it's the Greek word, suchematizo, suchematizo. Both words are used as a verb, obviously, and it means to not be conformed, to, to, to not be conformed uh, to oneself, uh, to one's mind and character, or to another pattern of one's fashions according to how they live. Verse 15, but as he who called you, who is holy, remember that word holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Excuse me, sorry, I was just trying to swallowing now i know we're going over this verse by verse one by one this is a study beloved so let's look at this verse in context peter uh said peter my notes are wrong sorry peter says previously in verse 14 to not go back to your ignorant ways now he is explaining on what particular ways Okay, we can see that in verse 15 and 16. He's just elaborating further on that, beloved. We see the word holy. We see it show up four times in verses 15 and 16. Twice in verse 15 and twice in verse 16. Now, this really opened my eyes because it is not the same Greek word teleos. Like we read early on in James 1. Um, Peter uses the Greek word hagios. But this word is used as an adjective, and an adjective is a word or phrase naming an attribute added to, grammatic, added to grammatically related to a noun to modify or describe it. Where it says uh, in verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Again, all those four words is, is the Greek word hagios. It's, that Greek word is found four times in there. The main idea behind holiness is not moral purity, but it is the idea of apartness. Because, I'm going to go off note here for a second. Moral purity is what describes God. 
and sorry, I really feel the Holy Ghost right now. <laughs> um, it's not moral purity means that we've never sinned, but being set apart means you were at one place, but now you've been called out of it. The sorry, I just hit my microphone. The idea, I'm, I'm pulling a Kramer, for those of you that know what that is. The idea is that God is separate, different from his creation, both in his essential nature and in the perfection of his attributes. But instead of building a wall around his apartness, God calls us to come to him and share his apartness. He says to us, be holy for I am holy. Now, I want to elaborate, I'm, I'm going to share a long note on here, but I'm gonna I want to elaborate very clearly on how to understand the call to holiness, our walk in holiness, how to have a mature spiritual walk in a step-by-step -step process. Let's break this down. Let's go to, back to James 1, beloved. As Christians, we go through trials, and then we have the right endurance, which if we remember, it's, it's, it's in, in the Greek there, it means to have continuous of consistency and steadfastness. But in the midst of that, we do what we read in Galatians. We let the Holy Spirit lead us, okay? We don't, we, 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 if we walk in the Spirit, we will not be, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh, which means we're not going back to the former ways of our er, 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 of ignorance, which Peter, which we just read earlier on in Peter, which means to be responsive to the movings in our hearts to, to the Holy Spirit when, when, when we let him lead us. And to take delight in it, to yield in his beautiful discipline. Once we do this through each season, remember that, through each season, every single one, James says we will be teleos, perfect, mature, lacking in nothing and complete. And I think it goes back to the point where like James doesn't add any more of that. He's like, that's it. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, you need to do this and that as well. He's saying like, no, that, that's all you need to do through your trials. Stop focusing so much about getting out of it. And just like be like, Lord, I'm delighted in knowing that, that I am having the right endurance. There is so that, that I, this is, this is, this has been, and I share this on part one, beloved, but that's something that's really helped me in my walk with the Lord right now. It's been a huge weight off my shoulders. Now, when we look at it that way, okay, what we just explained through James and Galatians and being led by the Holy Spirit, we will be doing what Paul says in Galatians 5. We will be walking in the Spirit, which means, again, to, be, to respond to his guidance and seek him as well. Paul then says we will experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature, what Paul says in Galatians 5. So I hope you see what I try to connect there. It's also, now, I want to make a disclaimer at the end of this note here. I hope you see what I try to connect there. Um, it's also really beautiful to realize, to realize, to realize it that way, because once we do that, we can see Paul says we are no longer under the law anymore. He says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, I want to make a disclaimer real quick. Um, you, 
you might be saying like, oh, Josiah, you're allowing people to sin then. It's like, no, because I'm teaching. When you mess up, confess it. When you're doing that, you are being sober-minded. You're being self-disciplined. You're disciplining yourself. And you'll see pastors like like categorize certain things for self-discipline to just put a little bit more heaviness on the body of Christ. It's just not right. It's not right at all. So... Uh, now, that Greek word hagios uh, for perfect uh, means uh, most holy thing or a saint. And if you'd like to know how to spell it, it's it's spelled H-A-G-I-O-S. H-A-G-I-O-S. Verse 17, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, the Greek word for impartially was too hard for me to pronounce, but it's spelled A-P-R-O-S-O-P-O-L-E-M-P-T-O-S. I'll spell that one more time. A-P-R-O-S-O-P-O-L-E-M-P-T-O-S. O-S. Now, this word is used as an adverb, and it means without respect of persons or impartial. And then lastly, for verse 17, the word fear there at the end, it translates into reverential fear, not like a fear of anxiety. So let's be very clear on that, beloved. Verse 18, knowing that you were uh, ransomed from the fertile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver as gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So let's break this down because that may be a little bit confusing understanding what Peter's trying to say there. Peter's explaining how to further walk in holiness, not by doing it the way their fathers did it by the law, but through trusting in Christ's sacrifice to grow in God's grace through Christ, through that, the, the, the spotless lamb without blemish or spot. So verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He's talking about Jesus. But he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 22, having purified your souls by the obedience of the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, remember that part where it, where it says love one another earnestly. We're going to come back to that. At the end of verse 22, you might ask, well, what does it mean to love someone through a pure heart? And I think it means to love others unselfishly because Christ did the same exact thing. And uh, his heart was tempted with all sin, but he was the spotless lamb. Uh, now let's go back to where I said uh, love other earnestly. Uh, other versions may say love other fervently. Holy loving is incomplete if it is not accomplished by love. To be a Christian means to have a sincere love of the brethren. I think you could even add for strangers as well. Hebrews talks a little bit about that. But we are encouraged to exercise that love fervently. And I want to just elaborate on that verse on Hebrews. It talks about um, smiling and being kind to strangers. Um, and I think he's talking about like people that aren't in the church. Um, he says, or the, 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 the author of Hebrews, 
says because this has entertained angels without you knowing. It's really beautiful. So he says, verse 23, since you have been born again, remember that, remember that those two words born again, not of perish, perish, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For it is written, all flesh is like, or all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails. The flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now, uh, I talked about that word, those two words, born again there at the beginning of verse 23. It can translate into being set apart for God's purposes, to not conform to, to the ways of this world. Now, again, for verse 23, uh, it mentions the word imperishable. We can see the same word show up in verse 4. I'm going to go back to verse 4 real quick so I can find that. Oh, here it is. Uh, where Peter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read verse 3. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. Blessed, this is the beginning of the verse. Blessed be the God... And Father of our Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable. There's the word again. That's, that's the word we're going to pay attention to right here. Undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we see that word imperishable show up again here in verse 23. They are both the same Greek word that I had to, that I had to spell out previously to you because it was too hard to pronounce. Uh, but just in case, I'll spell it to you one more time. It's spelled A P H T H A R T O S. A P H T H A R T O S. Now, when I came across this. I was shown something really interesting, personally, for verse 23, where Peter uses the word born again. Peter does not use the same wording for born again like it's found in John 3.3, but he did use the exact same idea. It's really, it's really interesting. Um, and then verses uh, 23 through 25, Peter is quoting the prophet Isaiah. He's uh, quoting Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 8. My favorite verses, I, th I think I said it before, I think I'm changing my mind now, but my favorite verses are verses 6 through 9, and it says, In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through its th through it is tested by fire, may be found through the result in praise and glory and honor and revelation of Jesus Christ. And then 8 and 9, it reads, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, what did I learn uh, personally in this chapter? I learned a new Greek word for perfect, the word hagios. 
And to break down the context, of course, Peter greets the many churches in the many the, the many people in the many churches of the many cities listed in verse one. He reminds them what they have been called into through quite through Christ. He reminded them to look at where your faith has brought you to. He shows them how to respond to it and why we are to respond to this way, uh, respond this way as well. And then going back to the praise going to Jesus through what he did for you. Peter then ends with quoting some more Old Testament scripture to back up what he says is true. Well, amen and amen, beloved. That is our First uh, Peter 1 study, part two. That was really good. Oh my gosh. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Greek word for hagios. Um, I think that was another one. I don't remember what Greek, I don't remember what word that actually was being used for. But I want to read the gospel one more time. I want to be able to give a chance to those who don't know the gospel to share it real quick. Okay, because I know I showed this at the end of part one, but I'm just going to share it again. There was a law given to God's people, the Israelites, which were written on tablets of stone. God gave it through his... Through, through, through a man he chose, Moses, after God led his people, the Israelites, out of bondage and slavery uh, in Egypt through King Pharaoh. Generation after generation, God's people, the Israelites, could not do what God demanded. There were many kings who led over God's people. Many were righteous in the eyes of the Lord, but many were also evil. Then uh, there came the prophets sent by God who would give God's people and the kings a message of many kinds. Uh, Through Isaiah's words in chapter 53, there was a prophecy about a coming Messiah, someone from the lineage and the root of David that would save everyone from their sins, to then be in right standing with God and through this Savior. After all the turmoil of the law that brought forth death, Jesus came and started to proclaim the gospel, and it was said, Repent and believe in the gospel, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus also said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Paul, which is a name that many of you may have heard before, was a man chosen by God to proclaim the good news of the gospel. It says in Romans that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are not morally good people. We are dead in our sins. But Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law, the sting of death, and uh, to to, to make us in right standing with God. Jesus lived a life we couldn't live by being tempted by sin, but knew no sin that we would become the righteousness of Christ to be in right standing with God. We, including myself, are all sheep who have gone our own way, but God has caused the wickedness of us all to fall on him, Jesus. So in essence, the bad news is we couldn't do what God asked us. We kept falling short generation after generation. But the good news is Jesus finished it. And those who repent, which means to change one's mind and then have action with that, with that and live according to God's will for your life and believe in the atoning sacrifice Christ made on your behalf are saved. You, Your name is found in the book of life. You 
will be in right standing with God. You will be united with God. That is the goodness of the gospel that Jesus finished it for you. Now here's some scriptures that can emphasize what Christ has done. You can look at Galatians 3, 10 through 14, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Isaiah 53, John 3, and Ephesians chapter 2. Let's close in prayer, beloved. Father, I thank you so much for this message and the things that have gone forth. I just pray that your word would go forth in power. I pray for whatever season my listener is listening to, your son, your daughter. Father, I pray you'd equip them through your Holy Spirit. They would trust in Christ and they'd be reminded of the joy of their salvation. That in the midst of their trials, they can have hope in their salvation, knowing that they have hope in the new Jerusalem to come. I pray for those that are being emotionally or physically abused, Lord. I pray you would lead that person that's hurting that person to repentance, Lord. Open their eyes. You are the only one able to open people's eyes to their, excuse me, to their sin. Pray as my listener leaves, that go in peace, and they'd be led by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, next week, Lord willing, I think we're going to dive into 1 Peter chapter 2. And then after that, Lord willing, I'm going to be bringing my guest, Justin, here on my podcast. We're going to be recording a message at his house, and we're going to talk about trials and how to just kind of walk with the Lord in it. We've talked about that here on my podcast, but I think... Everyone's just got something going on, and Justin and I were going to talk about, um, what were we going to talk about? Um, I forget, honestly, but we're going to be talking about trials. We have a whole message prepared. It's really, really good. He's such a great guy. I love him to death. God brought him out of a small trial and has really humbled him, and he's going to be sharing about that. Uh, But I'm really, really excited to see what God has uh, forth planned here on my podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this part two on 1 Peter chapter 1. This is your friend Josiah. God bless you.